Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. We uh, appreciate you joining us tonight. We've got a packed show as usual. I'm here with my co-host Bill Quinn. Bill, thanks for uh, putting everything together in the back end today. Thank you. It's good to be uh, good to be here, Todd. So we have some big news coming for CDM uh, one February. I can't announce it yet, but uh, as we build up to that date, we'll let you know as soon as we can. We're going to get a lot bigger, and we're excited about it. And uh, you know, we're out running to the sound of the guns and we're going to bring our message everywhere. We have a full show. As I mentioned, we have Amber Connor, who's going to talk to us about what's going on in the curling trial. I think you I think you'll find that fascinating. Senator Colton Moore and what's going on under the Gold Dome. That may just make you very angry, but uh, we'll see. And then uh, my old buddy and pal Richard Barris is going to join us. He's the best pollster in the land. Uh, we partnered with him in the 22 cycle for the CDM Big Data Poll. And literally in the last three, four, five cycles, he's been the most accurate pollster out there, including 2016, where he called it. Uh, so we're excited to have Rich back, and we're going to be doing polling with him going forward. So look for that in the general. I think the primary is not really worth spending a lot of money on for polling at this point. But uh, the general, we will definitely do it to get the real message out there. Thank you for signing up for our no-ad subscriptions. We've had a lot come in lately. Those are extremely helpful. If you go to georgiarecord.com, we're, we're brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. On the right side, there's a, a little ad that says, for no ad subscriptions, click here. You get access to all of our network. And we're getting a lot of uh, interest from MAGA candidates across the country to CDM to get their message across. So if you're a MAGA candidate running for Congress, or even if you just want your message out, no matter what kind of candidate you are, we can geo-target across the nation and really drill down into the people watching the CDM network. And if you're an advertiser in Georgia and want to be part of the future and the race to save the republic and have people know that you're on the right team, call us or contact us at the Georgia Record. There's an email there. And uh, we will talk to you about advertising because we need to grow that as well as our new ad subscription. So thank you very much. What do we got today, Bill? What's going on? Anything? Well, we have uh, we have Senator Colton Moore who's going to speak with us. We've got uh, you know a Amber uh, who will be on first, and uh, then we've got, as you said, Mr. Barris who will talk uh, talk through some of the nuances of what we're going to see going forward. We also have some interesting things beginning to uh, show up in the legislature uh, that we'll hear from Colton Moore, and we also begun publishing a series of articles on the Georgia record. Uh, many will be authored by uh, Mallory Staples and she'll keep us updated as to the, the bills that need attention, good or bad as we go forward. So got a lot of moving parts. So please support our sponsors. Uh, we, you all know David Cross, especially if you're watching the show, you know who David is. Uh, he's a big election integrity advocate. He's also uh, a great financial advisor. Uh, let's run that ad please, Bill. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt, and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. Let's bring on our first guest, Amber Connor, Bill. Okay. Amber, thanks for joining us. Uh, good evening. So uh, I, I've known you for several years back when you were a real warrior on the election integrity effort after the election. Uh, I don't know if you want me to talk about what 
you pulled out of the dumpsters, but it was quite fascinating. And uh, we, <laughs> we, we had a, uh, uh, a get together back then to go through the evidence that you found. And uh, so I know you've been on the right team for some time. Tell us what's going on in the, in the curling case. You've been in the courtroom for days now, and uh, you told me it's not just the Halderman issue, but there's a lot of other things that need to be talked about. Yes. So it's the curling versus uh, Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. And so what I've seen play out is quite interesting. It's not just a battle between the plaintiff's counsel and the state's defense, but it's an also they're both attacking voter GA. And the reason why I found find is interesting. Voter GA is looking to bring up evidence of um, a lack of integrity and vulnerabilities all within the system. And that's not only with BMDs, which are ballot marking devices, but are also with ballots themselves, how those can be manipulated and how malware and, and they've got strictly off of what uh, Professor Stark and also Halderman said in, in their detailed report, as well as other forensics and um, evidence that they had found that actually speaks to um, the vulnerabilities. It Yet the curling plaintiffs only and strictly want to talk about ballot marking devices and they trust the tabulators and they're fine with the system of handmarked paper ballots or absentee ballots, which when you listen to voter GA and you've heard all of the evidence that they presented, you then notice, wow, this is a weird dichotomy where both the state's defense, who doesn't want to admit that there's any vulnerabilities and the actual plaintiffs who only want to concentrate on one part. That's why I'm on the side of voter GA at this point, because they're wanting to point out all our vulnerabilities because it doesn't make sense to only address one side of the issue or to make it unbalanced where you can still have shenanigans that take place within our voting system. Yeah. So I, I heard some people uh, recently say, well, we, we can just, you know, have them print the ballots and it'll be fine, but that's still bad because you have the QR codes on there and you don't know what's in that QR code. Correct. Yes. And that that's one of their um, complaints. But also we found out through this testimony that there can be malware inserted that even if your ballot comes out and the text matches the QR code, mm -hmm. that the way that the vote is processed is undetectable. So the your ballot that you scan and that you show is telling you this is who you voted for. But when it's processed through the backdoor malware that can be mm -hmm. inserted, that can be switched and, and there's no way to tell and there's no way to pull it up due to voter privacy. So that is a very distinct um, amount of information that not only CISA has, has warned about, but even Dominion in their own writing of software updates that need to be made ha have mentioned it as well as Halderman and uh, Professor Stark from Berkeley. So that it's people on both sides of the aisle and those who have this equipment um, that have mentioned the vulnerabilities. It's just interesting how once you sign a contract with a company and, and you're responsible for holding elections, you really don't want to uh, worry, worry the public by talking about those vulnerabilities. You want to do your best to deny them or look or look as if you've taken all the protocols necessary in order to address. And we're finding this out in court that things aren't what they seem. And um, I can explain to you what Halderman did in front of everyone when he, he physically hacked the systems in front of everyone. That was interesting. He took a pen and he asked the, he actually asked the um, state's defense if he, their main counsel, if he could, Mr. Tyson, if he could borrow his pen. And then he held the pen down on the power button between five and 10 seconds, around seven seconds. And then a prompt came up 
and it asked him if he wanted to reboot. He states no, and he wants to go into safe mode. He goes into safe mode, and then he can actually go into super user mode, which allows him to bypass using any password and to bypass really any detection whatsoever. And in that, he can either change the code, change the files, insert what he wants, takes out, take out what he wants without anyone be able being able to forensically see that he had done so because he was in super user mode. And then if he doesn't do it that way, and at that point, he can insert malware that will manually do the code. So it doesn't take someone, and he wanted to emphasize, it doesn't take someone who is great at computer science or who knows how to write code. They can actually have a bush bunny or they can have a USB or something that will actually insert that malware that will cause it to manually. And he actually showed a video of what that looks like. And then he showed another um, vulnerability, which is when uh, the state's defense said, yes, but we actually put covers over the USB um, ports on the BMDs, the ballot marking devices. He said, well, there's a way around it. And he actually took the cord that went from the BMD to the printer and um, that prints out your ballot. And he unplugged the printer and plugged a Bush Bunny into it. And the Bush Bunny actually then manually inserted the malware. And he said the way that it will pass that machine or equipment passes, passes the logic testing and analysis that the state does is they that would be um, after they did the testing. And then you would unplug, uh, connect the Bush Bunny and then insert the malware, plug back in the printer, and no one would be the wiser because it would allow wow. you to do it again, super user mode. And he gave an example of how he uh, showed three separate cards. One was a poll worker card, one was a technician card, and one was a voter card. And he ordered them over Amazon for $10, pre-programmed them. And with his voter card, he could vote multiple times. But the technician card and poll worker card, when he inserted into the machine, allowed him to gain access as well. So he said forged cards are an issue. And so that was a big deal about Holderman Report. And the interesting thing is CISA had looked over it and agreed and um, then stated vulnerabilities as well that were compatible with that. So what was the judge's reaction to all this? The judge um, was paying very close attention. She was asking questions, questions that the state's defense or the plaintiffs did not ask or things that she was curious about to the layman who may not understand like what. And so she would kind of fill in the gaps with questions that seemed to be bothering her. Um, and mm -hmm. she, uh, the judge had, has been writing about ballot marking devices, I think, since 2017. So she, you know, has had her issues with that. Um, where she has a lot of questions and this seemed to then peak a lot, a lot more questions that the judge had. Do you think she's going to like go down the path of, okay, we're going to fix this one problem, but leave these elephants over here. You, you know, do you, do you think that's kind of where they're leading or can well, you tell? This is where she was fair. So uh -huh. she didn't have to allow Ricardo Davis with voter GA to come in to this case but and the plaintiff's counsel threw a fit and did not want him because he speaks to actually addressing uh, duplicate ballots, actually addressing ballot dumps. These things mm -hmm. that we actually witnessed, as well as the vulnerabilities on the machine. And she allowed voter GA to join this case, whereas if it were up to the plaintiffs or the state's defense, they would have said no. So the fact that she allowed someone who was bringing to the table the things that they had found find that had to do with voter integrity as a whole showed me she's trying to be an honest broker. I can't read her heart or mind. 
and only God can do that. However, it was very interesting that when you look at the dynamic in the courtroom and how she's tried to allow um, their counsel to speak Mr. Olin's, but there's been times she did not allow them to question because the plaintiff's counsel put up a, an objection and the state objected as well. And it would be hard to go against them if you're in the judge's position without looking like you're favoring. And since the curling case had been in court for over six years, that was kind of the argument that curling had been making that this was totally unfair. So, But she has allowed Mr. Olin's to ask questions, but he's just been limited. So I really wish they would have been given more time because the information they have is quite outstanding. Who do you think among the plaintiffs is stopping a lot of this from moving forward? Or do you know? Um, Marilyn Marks. She seems to be the one who gets the most upset, especially when the judge allowed um, Ricardo Davis's counsel, Mr. Olin's, to enter a proffer when he wasn't able to ask um, Stark or Halderman questions mm -hmm. that they wanted to ask. So in his proffer, and that's something that you enter um, that goes into evidence, like goes into the court document because you're not allowed to question. And so it's more of a bullet point. And so they just brought uh, what they wanted to ask him, like about particular ways to insert ballots, particular things that happen with ba duplicate ballots, evidence that they have that they wanted to then insert in. So at least with a proffer, it'll be written in the court records, except there's not the conversation that goes mm -hmm. back and forth that gives the detailed information necessary. But here's something interesting. They really got mad when Ricardo Davis got on the stage and he he spoke about the 104,000 ballots that were inserted into the Herschel Walker case and um, both the state's defense and the plaintiff's counsel flipped out and wanted to know, did you get this from the Microsoft server? Like, where did you get this? Because they were going to diminish it or act as if it's not important if it came from that server, because that's the one that ebbs and flows the information and it changes as the day goes. And uh, Ricardo David said, no, a um, a volunteer with voter GA actually gave us that information, gave us that information. And so then Ricardo Davis revealed that they received it from the Edison line feed. And that's important because that's what the secretary of state's office sends in real time to the media. That's why you see CNN and Fox mm -hmm. actually showing the data as it's coming on. And they noticed that 104,000 uh, ballot dump that took place within 10 minutes that had a different timestamp than all of the other, um, ballots. So that's what he was able to get into court. And then of course it was, it was stricken and um, the objection was sustained, but I'm glad I was in court to get that mm -hmm. testimony and to hear it. So I could speak to the Edison line feed because then the state's defense and plaintiff's counsel wanted to know um, who, who was the one. So they wanted them to, to tell what volunteer found this and they didn't want the evidence, which was very concerning to someone like me when the state's defense is saying that they care about voter integrity and the plaintiff's counsel is complaining they don't trust the BMDs because of vulnerabilities. But yet when um, evidence is said and the person actually has the actual evidence in which they can research that comes from the Edison line feed, they don't really want to go any further wow. with that. And they only want you to turn in the person who found it rather than the evidence that to me spoke volumes. And I will never forget that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Bill, Bill, what do you have any questions? So you mentioned a couple of things. One uh, updates. So if I recall correctly, the Haldeman report uh, specified that the systems are so uh, perforated with risk, with vulnerabilities that 
um, simple patches and so forth would not fix these problems. Um, what do you make of some of the legislators in the last few months talking about, well, we could we can do this much, we can patch here, maybe we consider doing something over here, maybe we consider doing something with one type of machine. Seems like a patchwork quilt of solutions to, that simply won't work, according to Halderman. What do you think? Oh, well, it got really ugly in there today because Blake Evans was called to the stand. And Blake Evans um, works for Eric, which is quite interesting, and also became the Secretary of State's election director in 2022. And as he is giving his testimony, he start the the state's defense starts to ask him about you know, what, who he's worked with, who he's talked with. And he mentioned CISA going into some of these laboratories and the states, I mean, the plaintiff's counsel got very angry and said, we have not, uh, we have not received derogatories from, from the um, state's defense, which in fact shows that they've communicated and actually addressed these issues that we've brought forward. And now they're bringing on this witness to speak to something out of the blue saying they've addressed Halderman and Sis's issues where in fact we've gotten broad statements and no communication as to what they've actually addressed. In that moment, this is what's interesting. I made sure to quote what the judge said because she got very angry with the state's defense. And she um, she says, state says it has followed CISA recommendations, but they have not shown if and how they addressed said recommendations. Judge then requests a supplement um, concerning a supplemental concerning communication as to what measures were taken. The judge stated there seems to be a seemingly profound lack of interest in providing documentation that shows CISA and Halderman's report of vulnerabilities have been addressed. She then goes further to state there has been uh, difficulty with the state responding to how these measures have been addressed. At that point, she then dismisses Blake Evans and then both state's defense and plaintiff's counsel go back and forth as to if so, they've considered Blake Evans. This is hearsay. They've considered. Uh, OK. And also he's not an expert. So they you know, it's always the battle of the experts. So everyone has to say the he's just giving his testimony. He's not an expert. The same humdrum that happens in every court case. But what was interesting is the judge said, I'm going to allow him to testify because I want to see what he reveals as to what has been addressed with these vulnerabilities. And when she does that, she says, but I might withdraw his testimony and allow the state's defense to enter a proffer. And then I wrote down the exact line of questioning that's very interesting, that really floored everyone. And you heard gasps from people sitting in the courtroom. And then the, plaint the plaintiff's counsel looked at each other like, good grief. And so it, it went like this. The state's defense asked this question. Did you ever contact Dominion about upgrades concerning the November 2024 election? Blake Evans, yes. State's defense, will these upgrades be made? Blake Evans, no. State's defense, Dominion decided not to push for an upgrade to software? Blake Evans states, I contacted them and they decided not to do the 513 software update, but decided to do the newer 517 software update. In March of 2023, this is when Dominion came to them saying that they would do the 517 software update. And then he said, when the Secretary of State's office discussed this, 
Um, once the office looked into how long the certification test would take to upgrade to uh, 517 software for the D Dominion system, they came to the conclusion that they do not have time to upgrade the Dominion management server due to testing and installation time it would take to properly implement it this time. So it seems as though nothing's really going to be done. And all he did was go over the security measures that are already in place for poll workers, for, for people who are managing or superintendents of the election and how they're given a guidebook and how they're trained. And so they just went through that process to try to inform the court, this is how secure our elections are because we take these protocols, but nothing of substantial evidence to show that they address Halderman's, CISA's, or even Dominion's um, forensics report of what they have said are remaining vulnerabilities. So it's very interesting for wow. people who are wonky on court cases. <laughs> so just to, just to wrap that up, you're saying they recognized all these major vulnerabilities and how these machines can be hacked. I mean, he did it with a pin, but they're not going to do anything about it because they train the poll workers and they give them books and things like that. <clears throat> Yes, it seems as though we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I, I ebb and flow because, you know, for me, I want to mm -hmm. see what comes out, what comes through, if there's any bias, mm -hmm. if this is all a dog and pony show. I'm very disappointed that they have not allowed Garland Favorito and Ricardo Davis with Voter GA to have standing and to actually allow for their evidence to come through. If we actually had justice, that would be addressed because I think everyone in the United States that really has integrity wants an election that counts every legal vote and um we're we're getting a disservice right now because we don't have any trust in what's yeah. going on you mentioned earlier they were focused they seem to be focused on um one particular type of device the bm bmds at least uh, maryland marks and company <clears throat> one of the parts of the halderman report uh suggested that malware once introduced into any of the systems could propagate itself across across those systems perhaps across precincts perhaps across counties you know, lots of different ways to spread the stuff. Has that been discussed within the context of the case yet? Yes. Uh, Garland uh, Favorito and voter GA with Ricardo Davis entered their proffer and with their proffer, it stated that. And the reason why they brought it up is in Halderman's report and in Stark. Now, this is interesting. When Halderman was asked if malware could be put into a tabulator, he said, yes, but it's a little bit more difficult and the way it's positioned. So he was kind of trying to bounce around it, but Stark flat out said there are there are issues with handmarked paper balloting with the printing the duplicate printing of it there's there's issues with worry about malware on tabulators on um printers on the bmds so actually stark who's a university a, a berkeley professor i would assume would be so progressive he would be so biased as to kind of uh you know, look at it kind of like Marilyn Marks and the plaintiff's counsel, but he just laid it all out and said, no, we have a lot of vulnerabilities that need to actually be addressed and which I had deep respect for him doing that where Halderman was not willing to go as far as to mention the vulnerability mm -hmm. the tabulators have and compare it to the same as the BMDs and the scanners. Wow. And you got anything else built tonight? The only, only an accolade for you. I know what it is to sit in a courtroom, especially <laughs> in a federal courthouse and they don't let you have recording devices and they don't let you have cameras. And you, I assume you're doing this all on paper and pencil and yes. you've done an amazing job getting the details of this so that people can understand it. So well done. Thank yeah, you. We want to have you back, Amber. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on short, short notice. I appreciate it. All right. Have a wonderful night. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye. Wow. 
she, very powerful. Real, really detailed. And that kind of stuff is difficult to catch in these hearings because, you know, people get arguing. Um, and as she said, there's there's a lot of contention. Sounds like a lot of contention to me. And that is difficult to capture and then doubly difficult to relate well. So uh, just an amazing job. They, <clears throat> it, it seems as if it's, you know, the, the underpinning of this sounds as if there's lots of things that they would prefer, some would prefer not be discussed in that room. Yeah, on both sides, which yeah. is shocking. Not shocking, but it's disturbing. It is. Um, so... We're going to keep pushing and exposing all this stuff. The, 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 the only thing we know to do is provide sunshine and hopefully fumigate all of this corruption. But we're going to keep pushing here at uh, CDM and the Georgia Record. One of the things we like to talk about is resilience. We're coming into a period of time where it's really going to be important that you can take care of your family if you get unplugged from the grid. And, and that's the food grid, the medical grid, the uh, power grid, whatever. Food is highly important. You need to start thinking about resiliency and it doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you don't have experience or if you're out of shape. Marjorie Wildcraft can help you. I'm going to run a quick ad from Marjorie at cdmfood.com. Our world is changing rapidly. Many crucial systems we depend upon are collapsing. And the most important system that is failing is the food supply. Mr. President, this council is more than aware of the multiple challenges and threats the world is facing today. But the threat of famine, people starving slowly to death, must be a red line. Now, these food prices are going to keep going up and up, and they're going to keep feeding excuse after excuse, narrative after narrative. Yeah. Where so you're going to have to get off that treadmill and start getting more autonomous with your own food growing. You want to make sure that you can eat, because frankly, food is the biggest issue as we are going through these transitions. But amidst the chaos, there is a path to resilience. Marjorie Wildcraft is the female leader of the survival and preparedness movement. Marjorie has taught millions of people how to grow an abundance of food in a grid-down situation even if you have no experience, are older, or out of shape. I've spent decades finding the fastest, easiest, and funnest ways for the average person to be able to grow a lot of food. I've created a step-by-step -step process that's so simple that even kids to elders have been using it in order to grow a lot of their own food. And you can too, even if you have no experience, you're older or you're out of shape. Growing your own food is like printing your own money. Get started today. So CDM Food is the, uh, cdmfood.com is the website. Go there, check out what she has to offer. She's got a lot of free stuff and uh, start getting prepared. Um, Bill, who do we have next? Uh, next is uh, Senator Colton Moore. Uh, we were lucky enough to catch up with him. He was jumping from from place to place today, dealing with legislature, dealing with uh, other folks that wanted to get information. So uh, he is next. Shall we bring him in? Let's do it. We are pleased and uh, excited to have Senator Colton Moore. He's made quite a name for himself standing up for the country. And welcome, Senator. Thank you. Hey, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate you having me. So there's a lot going on. Uh, let's start with the income tax. What are your thoughts on the uh, what's going on with that? Well, I mean, we've heard a lot of talk from our governor and uh, mm -hmm. lieutenant governor and other people in Senate leadership talk about how great things are with our income tax proposal that they're proposing, which is only a tenth of a percent, a tenth of a percent. So if we follow that route of a tenth of a percent, it will be 54 years 
before we eliminate the income tax. So to me, it's an absolute fraud to the people to say that we're doing something about their income tax when we're on a trajectory of 54 years. Um, the Georgia Freedom Caucus, uh, myself and uh, Representative Charlize Bird over in the House, uh, we're going to put up a companion piece of legislation. We'll see where it goes um, to reduce the income tax by 1% each year for six years. And then at six years, we've got a 0% income tax. I mean, last year we had, you know, uh, however many billions of dollars in surplus. We've got roughly, a, you know, some people say 16 billion, 18 billion. Right now, we've got about $11 billion in surplus and slushy money right now that we've yet to decide how to spend. So when you're putting up those kinds of numbers and you're not lowering the income tax, you know, we've got a big problem. I cannot go back to my district, which borders Tennessee, and and in good conscience talk about lowering the income tax unless we're at least going to lower it by 1%. You know, there's a lot of debate in Northwest Georgia about where the border with Tennessee is. You know, we've talked about that river before. Mm -hmm. uh, and I used to say in, in the past, we're seeing an exodus into Tennessee. People don't want to pay the income tax. Well, right now, Tennessee is, is kind of claiming our own sovereignty in Georgia. We've got Georgia citizens who are renouncing their citizenship. They're putting Tennessee tags on their cars because they don't have to pay the crazy ad valorem tax that we have to pay as Georgians. And they don't have to pay income tax, but they're taking advantage of all of our Georgia services. So we've got ex-Georgians now leaving. So when Tennessee is gaining sovereignty in our state by the simple fact of tax evaders, it's probably time to start doing something. But they're we'll probably see. saying they're probably saying hi to the illegal immigrants as they cross the border, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they, these um, are just Georgians renouncing their citizenship, and I don't blame them. Yeah, it gives a whole nother uh, meaning to the taxation is theft meme. I mean, right. When you got sixteen billion sitting in the bank. So I don't, whatever. I don't pretend to be a math whiz, but if I'm, you know, back of napkin, napkining, estimating this, sixteen billion over the population of Georgia is something like fifteen, sixteen hundred per person, isn't it? I mean, that's you know, an extraordinarily yeah. big number, and you would think that the first thing folks would be looking at is, well, how do we? You know, we gave some money back last year. This sounds like an awful big time to give some money back. And, and people who say that, that Tennesseans don't have better services, think about this. A slick sleeve state trooper in Tennessee, meaning you just started as a state trooper, you can make 80 something thousand dollars a year. If you're just starting off in Georgia, you're only going to make like 60 something thousand dollars a year. So, you know, we're putting up signs in northwest Georgia asking people to join onto our state law enforcement like it's campaign season. So we're spending money on campaign signs, but we can't even spend money on a decent salary. So Tennessee, no income tax, and they've got better public safety. Wow. Wow. What do you got, Bill? Well, let's, um, let's if we can, talk about what's the latest with the kerfuffle surrounding Fannie Willis. You know, you had yeah. asked months ago for action five, here. Five months ago. Five months ago. And, yeah. and lo and behold, here we come with all of a sudden it's somebody's idea. Oh, gosh. I guess we better do something. Tell us, tell I, us your thoughts. There. Listen, I couldn't be more excited. I mean, it's taken five months to wrangle these rhinos into doing something. And finally, we're going to recognize that we as a Senate, as a legislature, have an inherent subpoena power. So, you know, we've got this committee now. It's uh, I think it's in sitting in rules right now. Hopefully it'll go to the floor tomorrow or the next day. And this committee will be established. It'll have full subpoena power up until the end of session, to my understanding. So we've got to be working on this really fast. But then we subpoena Fonnie Willis to come in. She has to testify under oath. And if she doesn't, she's in held in contempt of uh, the Senate. And then she can be charged just like she's in contempt of court. Right. And we know you go to jail if you're in contempt of court. 
this is also going to be used as a mechanism to hopefully defund Fani because if we investigate and we find the wrongdoing, then why are our tax dollars going to fund her in this type of nonsense? So, you know, I couldn't be more excited. I wish it would have happened sooner. Uh, but to me, this is a victory. Um, now, this is the first stage in the process. Remember, investigate Fonnie Willis, defund Fonnie Willis, and ultimately impeach Fonnie Willis. So we finally got into step one. We finally got into step one. So the governor of, doesn't like that too much, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, the governor needs to get used <laughs> to the fact that there is a, another branch of government called the wow. legislature, and he's not the all-powerful king, even though he may think so. Yeah, and the power flows from? The people. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Here, here's if you ever come to the Georgia Capitol, think about this. You walk into the building. Who's on the first floor? It's the governor, right? And who sits right on top of the governor's office? It's the state house. And who sits right on top of the members of the state house? It's the gallery of the people. So the citizens having the top control um, sit. And if you look at the layers of how the Capitol architecturally is structured, uh, it's pretty interesting. That, that's an interesting analogy. So uh, as you got into one of the hearings the other day, um, you wasted no time in, in kind of asserting a, a, a light of truth into that. I'd like to show that to folks if we could. Give sure. me just a moment here. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I don't have a question for the author, but I would like to engage in some discussion before the vote, if that's appropriate. We, okay. Yeah, I just... It's going to be a, no surprise to many, but I'm going to be a hard no uh, on this piece of legislation. I think it's, uh, it's, it's a bit embarrassing to the people of Northwest Georgia when the first piece of legislation that we have come before government oversight is granting the governor more power uh, to do something, and that's, you know, hand out political awards to his political friends. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we've got 19 people that have been indicted and their uh, constitutional rights are being violated and the governor hasn't done anything about it. You know, our, our southern border is being invaded. People are being human trafficked. Um, you know, yes, where was it? Yesterday, the news comes out that our election machines can be hacked with a pen. And this government oversight committee isn't doing anything to address any of those issues that I think really need some oversight. But meanwhile, we have our first piece of legislation to give more power to a governor. And I'm just extremely embarrassed and disappointed by that, Mr. Chairman. So I'm going to be voting Chairman, no. <laughs> you know, it, it just, it's got to be a ton of fun to walk in and watch the faces as they say, oh gosh, Colton's here, you know. Here. Oh, you should have seen <laughs> Senator Patrick's face. I mean, she thought a train was about to run her over. Um, but I mean, people, the other senators came to me after that and they said, you got to be more respectful on the committee. And it's like, do you think citizens, when they look at this, do they have any respect for our committee? I mean, this is the Senate government oversight committee and the first piece of legislation we're going to do is some kentucky fried chicken bill where we're going to create a georgia colonel you know that we can give out to people as a political award i mean it's a laughing stock it's absolutely ridiculous and you know I'm, how many more times do we have to call these things out before we we get some people a little bit more serious around here i don't know well on that subject i mean the the the, the, the trial the curling raffensburger trial was earth shattering and I don't hear anybody saying we got to get rid of these machines. Where right. is the outcry? Where is the just rage at our elections are being, you know, forfeited? I, I don't get it. Where is it? Yeah, no know? doubt. No doubt. And, and, and everyone's got an excuse. Everyone's got a different idea. Uh, personally, I think the solution is 
we only count the pieces of paper that are printed off under the current tabulator machines. And great, the, the tabulator machine, we know it can be hacked. It's connected to the internet. But if a person presses the button and it prints off a piece of paper and they get to look at that and individually audit it, and we only count that piece of paper, I would feel a lot more secure in our elections. I mean, think about this. We still have excuses for absentee ballots. Anybody can run out and get them an absentee ballot. That must be stopped. I mean, anyone who's seen um, 2,000 mules can see all those those being dropped into different drop boxes. And think about this. We still have drop boxes. Why do we have drop boxes? You know, they, they're, they're there at the polling place themselves. You know, they're supposed to be under camera and under supervision. Let's just get rid of them. Hand the, hand the absentee ballot that from someone from the military or someone who has a medical reason for having one. And that should be the only issue. Um, you know, if, if we can't be secure in our elections, uh, that's a scary thought. But but equally as scary to me is when you question the integrity of an election and you have to worry about chilling your voice because we've got a rogue district attorney who could put you in jail for the rest of your life named Fonnie Willis. You know, it, it, I don't know. That's what keeps me up at night. Now, who do you fight? Do you fight the authoritarian that you can see or the can, the, the authoritarians that you can't see? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings us to another thing that's happened in the last 24 hours, and that is the rise of a, uh, we'll call it the hate crime bill, uh, SB 359, if I recall yeah. correctly. What are your findings there? Because we wrote an article and published it this morning, but it just sounds scary to me. Oh, absolutely. I, I would encourage all of your viewers to uh, go back and watch the judiciary hearing. I think it wasn't yesterday, but the day before. And this bill basically is going to add um, RICO into hate crimes, and it lists off charges as littering. So basically, if if uh, if you have a disagreement with one of your political foes, and um, somehow that political foe says you're being hateful or intimidating, and you and your buddy are, are out there putting out campaign signs against this person, well, now you can be charged under RICO statute as if you're a member of a mafia, I mean, this piece of legislation is something straight out of Venezuela. I watched it, and the majority leader, Senator Gooch, uh, it makes the motion for this thing to do pass. It's Senator Albers' bill. But then the lieutenant governor's attorney is also advocating for the bill, and I, my mind is blown. I'm flabbergasted. So I go up to Senator Gooch today, and I said, what in the world is this Senate Bill 359? You made a motion for it to do pass. He goes, I misunderstood the bill. I misunderstood the bill. Um, you know, it, you know, it probably is a bad bill. I, it was misrepresented to me. Sorry, and then I look at the bill, the and he's the number two author on the bill, guys. He's the number Dude, two author. Oh, goodness. Um, so insane. then I go, up, I go up to the lieutenant governor today, and I said, what in the world is this bill? And he's like, don't, don't worry, don't worry. We're, you know, we're not pushing this bill. It'll, it'll probably just die in rules. And I said, good, that's what I needed to hear. It's going no further. Well, it seemed to be loosely associated with another house bill that has to do with anti-Semitism, and, and certainly nobody's advocating any kind of uh, prejudice or, or things against other uh, groups. But right. is it, is it sort of a, you know, oh, well, this is what it is, and it's really not. It's over here. Is it that kind of game that's getting played here with these two bills? You know, I think um, I, I hope senators' uh, motives for this type of legislation isn't being sinister as if they're part of the Venezuelan authoritarian group. I, I hope it's because they're they're feeling good in their heart, but that can be equally as dangerous. And um, I think that's what we're seeing. You know, 
part of that legislation talks about handing out posters or handing out flyers. So apparently people have handed out posters or flyers with anti-Semitic or Nazi symbols on it. And they, and they say that's their motive and push for this. Mm -hmm. uh, but when a piece of legislation, including the anti-Semitism bill, defining a definition and, um, it, there's only like a paragraph that talks about that. Then there's like three paragraphs in the legislation talking about how this in no way will infringe upon anyone's First Amendment rights. And if a piece of legislation spends more time explaining how it's not an infringement on our constitutional rights than what the bill actually does, and then it's an automatic no for me. And they're like, how, how could you possibly vote against this anti-Semitism bill? And, and I am probably as Zionist as they come. I mean, I think Israel ought to be taking out Gaza and the West Bank. I mean, they've taken that land before and they keep giving it back in an effort for peace and they keep getting the same result. Um, but I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm as pro-Israel as they come, but I am 100% anti any type of hate crime bills uh, or expanding hate crime bills. And that's exactly what these two pieces of legislation that came through judiciary did. Uh, we cannot be infringing upon one's First Amendment rights to free speech. I mean, I told the lieutenant governor, I said, my goodness, if Stacey Abrams gets elected governor and I'm out putting out campaign signs against her, you can guarantee that me and my friends will probably all get charged with some kind of RICO charge. Yeah. Why do we need special protection for any citizens? We should have it all equal playing field, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, free, free speech seems um, direct enough. But but in addition, people have raised the question, well, this thing speaks, it seems to speak to intention. And how does one, any anybody know another person's mind? And certainly how okay. do how does the government and or authorities know anyone's intention? You don't. It's impossible and, to legislate morality and that's what they're trying to do. Yep, yep. And this has been struggled through the courts and everything else for many, many years. Um, I think I, I'm hoping that folks will send a clear message that this is a concerning bill and and needs to be um, um, done away with somewhere. <laughs> the the right. trash bin, perhaps. No doubt. Um, what What else haven't we spoken of that uh, is on your is on your priority list, uh, Senator? You know, we've got uh, the election integrity legislation still still being drafted uh, to make sure we get that right. The income tax bill is obviously very important. I mean, our budget vote is coming up. Um, I'm ready to start defunding uh, many of our higher institutions of learning. I mean, just last week, I got reports from students at Dalton State. A professor was holding up pictures of me. They were holding up pictures of the lieutenant governor and talking about how radical we were. Um, you know, I've, I've heard uh, some some professors at Dalton State who uh, were teaching future teachers, future fifth grade teachers and elementary school teachers uh, to tell their students that masturbation was OK because it helps students relax. I mean, these are the types of things that are being pushed into our higher institutions. And if that's the case, state funding needs to disappear from those institutions. Well, there was speaking of anti-Semitism, there was a letter that was distributed all over Emory from a Palestinian terrorist activist essentially and there was no pushback from the leadership at all on that um i have a question for you carrie lake uh, or maybe she didn't release it somebody released a tape of her getting attempted bribery back in the arizona election did you hear that tape i'm just curious so, so i haven't heard the tape I, I a lot of people in my office have been talking about it today yeah. so i've heard some of their conversations uh from 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 what i've gathered whatever they were trying to bribe uh, Carrie Lake with. She was like, you're going to have to, you'll have to kill me. 
Um, no, she, she was pretty you know, strong. And, you know, yeah. uh, this is really not about her. My question is, we Bill and I have often wondered when people act say they're going to act a certain way and then they act another in Georgia politics. Um, I guess my, it's, it's really a hypothetical question, but maybe this is how this is going down. Maybe this, this is how people change. And I think we need to be more aware of that in the government because it's either blackmail, it's bribery. There's a lot of things that happen to politicians and then they, they don't do what they say they're going to do. So we just want to start highlighting that. Absolutely. I mean, I've heard many times since I've been here, a lot of people have said it's they would rather deal with the actual mafia than to deal with these politicians at the Capitol mm-hmm. uh, and the influences that exist here. I mean, it is a um, it, it's a very rough sport, if you will. It's a blood sport uh, mm-hmm. in many ways at the Capitol. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, you know, liberty and freedom is on the line. Uh, our tax dollars are on the line each and every single day. Our public safety is on the line. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a rough contact sport here at the Capitol. Um, I mean, I, I could tell you plenty of horror stories and, and things that I've seen in the past. Um, but, but that freedom's not free. Okay. In any capacity. And, uh, you always have to think back to think for me, like anytime I always say the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Right. I mean, Roosevelt, if he said any good thing, he said that. And you think about all those people who showed up on D-Day at the beach, uh, mm-hmm. who instantly risked their life and saw their friends die before them for our freedoms. So the fight here at the Capitol, if you just, you know, think about that for a brief second, you know, it becomes very easy to continue the fight uh, for our freedom. All I've got to do is run my mouth in a government oversight committee. Uh, very easy compared to what those men and women did before me. Yep. Got anything else, Bill? Uh, you know, that's, that's plenty for today. We appreciate you making time. I know you are a, you are a, a busy gentleman. So, um, we wish you well, thank you for standing up and, and, uh, showing, showing the rest of the legislature, your taillights as you move forward. So Absolutely. well done. You know, I, I love saying uh, all these politicians, they, they always want to say, you know, I'm the first generation to go to college. And, uh, I like to say I'm the first generation to have working taillights. There you go. There you go. All right. We will we will look forward to hearing hearing more from you in the coming days. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. You know, Bill, there's a saying that the country we grew up in doesn't exist, but when I talk to the senator, I feel taken back to that period of time in America. I think you're on mute. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds you that uh, you know, it's not things are not gone until we give up. And as long as we do not give up. There's hope to move back to something that makes sense again, and I, I bet we're doing it. I do too. And on that note, resilience of food security is really important. You know by now our cowman out in Nebraska, Glade Miller-Smith, we've had him on multiple times, and we just want to keep highlighting that he provides a very high-quality product direct from a family farm. The industrial cattle slaughterhouses do 5,000 head a week, or excuse me, a, a, a week. He does 15 in a week. So actually, they do 5,000 a day. He does 15 in a week. So it's very high-quality meat. Uh, The taste is phenomenal. You can make it a family event. The freezer comes to your door. You can decide what you're going to cook that night. Put the rest in the freezer. No mRNA shots. You don't have to worry about that. And I can personally guarantee, I've ordered many times, that the meat is fantastic. So let's run an ad from Glade Miller-Smith, please.
fold these back up. That's familyfarmbeefbox.com. I think I found a new tagline for uh, for Glade. <clears throat> Packed by precious little hands. There you go. Perfect. I'll, <laughs> I'll pass that on. Um, yeah, he, he wants to make it known that it's a family business, and uh, uh, we support Glade. So with that, we're going to move into our next guest. And I've known Richard Barris, unless you have something else to bring up, Bill. Do you have anything else before we move on? Well, uh, there's only one thing I wanted to share. I've actually pulled up a page from <clears throat> the Georgia record. We just got through talking about a couple of these bills mm -hmm. that, um, uh, we're getting insight from, uh, Senator Moore. And I wanted to share that, um, we're actually putting information on these bills up on the Georgia record as frequently as we can get it. Uh, we are, uh, we've announced in previous weeks that, uh, Mallory Staples is, contributing to the Georgia record and to the Georgia show. And this is one of the ways. So folks can go to the Georgia record if they're, you know, wondering about, concerned about, interested in, want to help push various bills and they can learn what they are. They can learn the, the names. They can, in most cases, pull the bills down and actually read them. Some are not very long. The one that, uh, that we talked about in just the last few minutes is only a three page bill, but, it's concerning nonetheless because it in, in introduces RICO charges and other things for things that would be very difficult to determine that someone was actually doing. It's in their mind. And is that something can be done? Yeah, that's so, that's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to make sure we highlight that they're going to be called bills that thrill and bills to kill. Perfect. And we'll keep you that, that name. We may add other explanation right behind it, but we'll, if you keep looking for that up on the Georgia record, you'll get the latest on what's happening in, uh, with these types of bills in the legislature. So the, day, the, the days of no media accountability are gone, at least in Georgia. Um, so we'll talk about that more in a minute, but I've known Richard Barris for a long time since probably 2012. Uh, we worked together on one of the early uh, media outlets that was kind of an alternative media site. He's very, uh, he's a genius uh, and he can see things that other people don't see. And uh, I, I credit him for that and uh, also count him as a good friend. But Rich, uh, we've done, he was our pollster for CDM Big Data Polling. He's been the best, most accurate pollster for several cycles now since 2016. And uh, he has a very uh, unique way of getting the data. And but, you know, the rest of the polling industry doesn't like him because he's accurate and they, they can't pad the polls with Rich like they can with everybody else. So we're going to be doing more polling with Rich um, into the general cycle, general election cycle. So stay, stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, but we sat down with Rich today on our final count show that Christine Dolan and I do after each primary. But I wanted to run the clip with Rich uh, because I think it was very instructive as of yesterday's event. So here we go. So we're back with our best friend, uh, Rich Barris, our best pollster from CDM Big Data Poll back uh, in the 22 cycle. Welcome back, Rich. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me back, Todd. It's always good to see you, brother. Yeah, man. Your studio keeps looking better and better every time I see you. So you, you must be making some money. 
<laughs> you know what? <laughs> Whatever we do make, it's dumped right back into the business to make it a better experience for people. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's I how it know goes. what you mean exactly. We're you about know to what I'm talking same. about. We're yeah. about to do the same. So talk. let's talk New Hampshire. Um, it, it didn't go well for Nikki, but you couldn't tell that by what she what she's putting out there today. And you know, the, the, the one thing I'll preface everything with is that Donald Trump did make a bit of a strategic error by not going out mm -hmm. and immediately declaring a big victory, getting his narrative spin in there. So she tried to pull the Bill Clinton comeback kid because mm -hmm. she went up there when she was only seven points down. Listen, the race was called immediately after the polls closed at eight o'clock because we all knew what was going to happen. The only question was how big the victory was going to be. Now, as the night went on, you know, this is the, the the buried lead here. And as you said, is this is now two contests. We had a caucus and a primary. And Donald Trump has broken no less than seven records in just two states, despite the fact, Todd, that they have spent. And I was one of the few people trying to explain this to people. Tens of millions of dollars to motivate Biden Democrats and Biden behavioral Democrats. They're independents, mm -hmm. but they don't vote Republican. They won't vote Republican in November. And they have to uh, various degrees succeeded. So despite all of these Democrat you know, voters coming to Republican primaries and what Rush Limbaugh used to call Operation Chaos and it never really materialized, She's yeah. been able to because we've never seen money spent like this before, and we've never seen Big Democrats money. helping a Republican. But regardless, I mean, I could rattle them off, Todd, all of the records. They're incredible. And for a nerd like me, it's history. You don't see this stuff. Now, you is that with, even without all the Democratic support coming in? Was he still breaking records across the board? He, yeah, absolutely. Even with them, without. I mean, what, what's really incredible is how many records he's broken despite that. They, some of them he was going to get no matter what. For instance, uh, most votes ever received by a Republican presidential candidate in the Iowa caucuses, he was going to get that regardless. Um, last night, however, normally people do not vote in uh, Republican primaries in New Hampshire like this. Mm -hmm. She put up an enormous amount of votes. Probably 40 percent of them are from Democrat behavioral Democrats. Yeah. But despite that, Trump broke the most. First, we watched him break John McCain's, then break his. And just on the Republican side, he blew past his vote share. Then it was really putting uh, Bernie Sanders record, which he set in 2016 in his crosshairs. He blew past Bernie Sanders, 152,000 plus. He blew past him. At this point, we're really getting nerdy and digging into all like crazy records. Like how much, How what is the percentage of the total state population who will vote for Donald Trump? And has anybody ever done this in a Republican or Democrat primary ever in the state of New Hampshire or anywhere else? Todd, more than 12% of the entire state of New Hampshire voted for Donald Trump. Trump last night. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, people like me who do this for a living know this doesn't happen. You and don't this is see a small this. state primary. It's tiny it's little basically state. over before we started. <laughs> That's so, right. Amazing, amazing. Amazing. What's wrong with the Trump team, Rich? Why don't they get this media stuff? I mean, it happened they let yeah. it happen before and then they're letting it happen again. Why aren't they out there creating the narrative? I don't get it. Uh, I, I really wish I had an answer. I really do. I think that, and you could see the president kind of, the people are saying he was angry. I don't think he was angry. I think you're rightly frustrated uh, because Nikki Haley, he, you can tell her team is run by Democrats and you can, because of how the, the tactics they use. In yeah. Iowa, when Nikki Haley came out, 
She never changed her speech, Todd. She had a second place speech written. And when she came out, the two-person race, right? <laughs> she never changed her speech. That's a second place speech. And they just said, the hell with it. We're going to go forward and give it because the PSYOP is more important than reality. And then in New Hampshire, they should have known that was coming. I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't. And if you're the president, you're, you're, you're rightfully frustrated because she came out there sounding like she was going to concede. And then she didn't about face and pulled like a Bill Clinton. I'm a comeback kid. I mean, it was yeah. insane. It's delusional. Here's the truth, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen. All of the talk about if it's bigger than 10, she can't be justified to stay in. If it's less than 10, she can't, she can move forward. Um, anyone who knows the delegate rules in the Republican and Democratic primaries the way I do, I know every rule in every state. Anyone who knows the demographics in all of these states, like I do, and there are others who do, by the way, knows that New Hampshire was her one and only chance to make magic happen. And the fact of the matter is, it may take her and uh, these other donors. A little bit of a couple of days like it did Ron DeSantis, but I really think soon she's going to be left with just the Reed Hoffmans and the Democratic donors and the David Plus from the Obama mm -hmm. campaign, you know, uh, advising her. I think Republicans, uh, even ones who hate Trump, Republican donors, we speak to them all the time. Uh, they're going to see the handwriting on the wall as well. This is what they wanted. A head-to-head, -head, never Trump versus MAGA in a very favorably, not only demographically, but attitudinally, the state was the most favorable it's going to be to a never Trump uh, candidate. They got their head-to-head. -head. She got beaten by more than 10 points. It doesn't matter that she did better with uh, having Joe Biden's Democrats from Hanover and all these yeah. other townships come in. I it thought does the colleges were big, too. They were coming absolutely. in. Absolutely. folks, pops, yeah. Yeah, we have exit poll interview transcripts uh, that we're going to read later, and these are Biden voters. They are telling us and the exit pollster they have no intention of voting for Nikki Haley. They're doing this because they got uh, several text messages and other contacts, communiques from uh, you know Democrats and Haley campaign telling them that you know Joe Biden's going to win. Don't worry about it if you and especially if you're soft on him, go out and vote for Nikki. You have to stop Trump. And uh, to people who say, "What? That's how the rules are," and and you know that shows you how many people are willing to vote against Trump. Guess what? They would never come out to vote for Nikki Haley, and you would be missing 50% of your base with Nikki Haley. The best chance you have, because those people are coming out and voting for Joe Biden anyway, or yeah. they're mailing their ballot in anyway. The best chance you have is a guy who can put up over 170,000 votes in a New Hampshire primary. It's insane. I mean, good luck. You know, I mean, that's, the, the, that's it. They should move now towards building a vote harvesting and voter registration operation because there are Trump voters that are unlikely and non-registered that, you know, are it, it, are a wealth. A, for me, a data miner, it's a gold mine. Yeah. A gold mine. Yeah. Go get yeah. them. Stop wasting money. So what's next, Nevada? Let's talk Nevada. That, that's the next one, right? I mean, I'm hearing big blowout again for, uh, for her. Yeah, she's going to, she may be, there's, people have to understand the uh, Republicans always ran a caucus in Nevada and then the Democratic uh, governor and legislature changed it to a primary in the state. I mean, the party sued the state in an effort to try to keep their caucus. I actually think they should have moved to a primary because uh, non-whites are hard to get to caucus. And Trump has a lot of support with non-whites. If you want it, bring them in and get them to participate. You should have had the primary. That was my opinion. Nikki Haley knew she was not going to win it. She's not even on the ballot. Uh, so basically, Trump's going to win universally in the caucus. But b before that, 
Joe Lombardo, the governor, is telling people to go vote in the primary and vote for none of these candidates. And by the way, if you live in Nevada and you support Donald Trump, you should vote in the primary and vote for none of these candidates and then go and caucus for Donald Trump wow. because they were looking for another narrative psyop victory. They're going to claim they won the primary, Todd. There's nobody on the ballot who's still in the race. It's ridiculous. So <laughs> If none of these candidates humiliates her or even comes close to her, it's going to be utterly humiliating before she's about to be further humiliated in South Carolina. So, I mean, Joe Lombardo, the governor, he, he wants no part of her. So he wants <laughs> he wants none of these candidates to beat her. He's literally running around telling people that that's what he wants to happen. So yeah. then South Carolina, yeah. um, the, the you know, Tim Scott came out against her. Yeah. Um, what do the numbers look like down there? Yeah, so there hasn't been newer polling except from Tony Fabrizio, who polls for Trump's PAC. But Tony's no joke. He's no liar, and he's not going to give a PAC a poll that he thinks is, uh, you know, blowing smoke up their butt. You know, he's just not going to do it. That poll shows a much bigger lead than the, the kind of stale public polling that we've had from South Carolina. Uh, DeSantis dropped out. Christie dropped out. We just didn't. Oh, we, we really don't. It, it's the momentum factor, too, is what I should mention. We don't have any post-Iowa South Carolina polling where Trump has clearly gotten this momentum. But even before that, he was ahead, Todd, 25, 30 points. Fabrizio's polls, like over 40 points. And now we're past uh, proportionate alloca proportional allocation of delegates. And in South Carolina, there are 27 uh, at-large delegates, or uh, excuse me, uh, 29 at-large delegates, the winner of the statewide vote period will get them. Another 21 are allocated by congressional district, and they're basically issued on a winner-take-all. So let's say Nikki Haley wins one district by Charleston, right? Yeah, yeah. She gets three, three delegates. He's going to get 47. So we're yeah. going to get to this point now where the delegate count is just going to start to rack up for Donald Trump. Right. And then Super Tuesday, she's not going to win a single state. I mean, this is... I just, there's no viable path here. I mean, if we're being realistic, uh, there's no viable path here. And you got to wonder then what is this all for? Well, exactly that. What is the agenda? Is it just to keep her in? Is it to drain money? Is it to try to get a cabinet position? And or is it to try to get a cabinet position in the Biden administration? What is it? You know, I mean, I think she's, question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really think that there are Democrats who support Joe Biden that um, have come to grips with the fact that Donald Trump's probably going to beat him. And they think that there's not much of a difference between Joe Biden and Nikki Haley. So yeah. even if she was to hang around and, you know, hope for Jack Smith uh, to take him out or, you know, a secretary, crooked secretary of states and stupid yeah. uh, states, ideologically fanatical Supreme Court justices statewide, removing him from the ballot. You know, I think really that that's what's going on. I really do. And then uh, you know, here's the thing. I. I uh, people who aren't in this business don't understand the minu the minutiae and the details. She's costing Republicans a fortune, Todd. Every okay. state yeah. that she goes, it's not just, you know, defending, you know, Trump has to spend money now. It's that she is basically tainting the data sets in every state. All of these voters now are going to be logged as primary voters. They have no intention of voting for Republicans ever. But yeah. because they're participating in the primary, they will now be polled when Republicans send out mailers, send uh, out text messages. It's a fortune, Todd, being wasted, especially in New Hampshire. I mean, it's a fortune to do this stuff. And there's and, and because of every state she goes by or goes through is going to cost that much more money. That's how, practically speaking, 
this stuff impacts uh you know the republican uh efforts to win in, in november which should be the agenda just a big money drain um big money drain brother yeah, that's right yeah. that's right wow anything else our audience should know yeah i mean listen um three records in iowa at least i mean we just mm -hmm. don't see this the most votes ever received by any candidate mm -hmm. in an iowa republican caucus uh, he also um, had the fastest call ever in Iowa, in New Hampshire. He just broke that one, too. I forgot about that one. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in New Hampshire, again, massive, massive, massive turnout. Nobody else could weather this kind of an onslaught. So for all of the stupidity you hear out there about, oh, but the suburbs and oh, but Trump won the competitive purple suburbs and he won them pretty handily. In areas yeah. in New Hampshire, like Salem, where there are Democrats, he humiliated Chris Sununu. That's Chris Sununu and the Sununu dynasty's home base, and he humiliated them by getting Yeah, there was all that talk about him. they're going to, you know, Sununu is going to take it from him. He's going to rig it all. Nothing happened. You know, He got crushed. Yeah. He got, I mean, what they did, that's why Sununu was so confident a week ago, saying she's going to win uh, until they saw the polling go sideways. I don't think the polls were wrong. They weren't wrong about vote preference. What they were wrong about was that it wasn't going to be 5% Democrat. It wasn't going to be 42% uh, Democrat-leaning independents. It was 48% and 10% Democrat. I mean, 10% of the electorate straight call themselves Democrats. That doesn't wow. happen. So, yeah. Not, not sustainable. That was the rig. Yeah, that's not sustainable. It's not. Rich, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. We'll see you back uh, after the next one, hopefully. And All the we'll best, be, my we'll friend. Look, people, our audience should look forward to the CDM Big Data poll uh, as the year progresses. Take care. So Rich is a wealth. And uh, I would say to our audience, you're not going to get this kind of reporting anywhere else. You can tell he knows what he's talking about because he doesn't he doesn't even need to pause. He knows this stuff. And, and oh, and by the way, it was this other, you know, magical uh, number that was achieved as well. Yeah, um, I, I am hearing uh, from other sources too. the you know, there's been this question, you know, why did she why did she roll out this? What sounded what she hoped to sound like a success speech or victory speech. Mm -hmm. Trump called her on it. Um, and, uh, and, and again, made her, made her look foolish for doing it, mm -hmm. but, but there is this open question about why would she still be in the race? Um, we're, we're coming up to her own state. It's, uh, I think Trump last night, um, mentioned that he was 50 points ahead. That doesn't sound like, uh, any comeback pattern in the, in the offing by, uh, Haley. Mm -hmm. It does make you wonder why would you put yourself through this and, and continue to, in the face of measurable data uh continue on with a race that clearly you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed with two theories that i've heard one is um that just in case something else um were to happen to trump whether it be you know gets convicted by one of these crazy lawsuits and um one of the folks puts him in prison um yeah. you know if there's if there's some uh threat on his on his life that you know we we obviously don't want to hear about but you know, people are speculating about it, given the uh, amazing steps that these bad guys, these evil folks are doing to try to keep them from getting back into power. Yeah, that's that's the other speculation. Is she just hanging around in the off chance that something happens and he can't be the or, or the or she knows something we don't know? Well, yes. So we are going to continue to, as you mentioned, uh, call out the BS because that's really important. Uh, you know, with Rich Barris, it highlights something I want our audience to understand about CDM. We are a global network. We are bringing 
content you are not going to get anywhere else. And I mentioned the CDM big data polling. You don't see any other conservative uh, America First media spending the money to do polls and bringing real, you know, we had a real Im impact, especially in Wisconsin in 22, when we came out and said, no, Ron Johnson was actually ahead. That changed the whole dynamic and was worth every dime and dollar that we spent to do that poll. We're going to continue to do that into the general. I want to mention a couple other things. Our Manhattan bestsellers uh, list, which is our competition against the New York Times bestseller book list. If you go to the Manhattan.press, it's updated weekly. It's fantastic. It's all the different categories. There's no censorship. Yes, there are liberal books on there. We just tell the truth. Which books America is reading across children, young adults, adults, fiction, nonfiction, history, politics, all of that. It's fascinating. Go to the Manhattan.press and check that out. And we're about to start a Manhattan.press book awards. So if you're a conservative author, look uh, in the next week or so, we'll be talking more about it, where you can come in and try to win uh, one of the categories uh, at the Manhattan, which is really our cultural site. We're going to be having some leadership changes there shortly. So that's going to be uh, really interesting. But with this Carrie Lake thing, Bill, you know, I wanted to just talk about the media, if we've got a minute, as to, you know, what um, what people should be realizing about the media. First of all, why are some of the conservative media attacking Georgia members, MAGA members in public over and over again? You need to think about why that is. Why would conservative media be attacking MAGA? Why would there be no pushback when Brad Raffensperger goes on a show and says the elections are fine and perfect and there's no issues? Why aren't any questions asked? Why isn't anyone talking about election integrity except us in a detailed manner down to the machines, the blank ballots, all of that where we've spent hours and hours and hours with Chris Gleason and others. Do you see him on any other America First channels? Any of them? I don't think so. And so what I'm saying is we are the real deal. We're not going to blow, you know, smoke up your butt and we're going to tell you what's going on. And we're not, uh, you know, we're not beholden to special interests. And that's important that you support us with your no ad subscriptions, because that's how we don't have to take pharma money or anything else or money from whoever approached Carrie Lake, which, you know, could be approaching other members, not media, other media, not to talk about certain issues. Got anything to add? Bill, one, we close. One of the things that's been said over and over uh, in the past now three years is you have to be willing to say to find and say the truth. Sometimes it's going to be awkward. Sometimes it's painful. Many times people won't want to hear it. They won't want to deal with it. But nonetheless, truth is always truth, and lies only last until they're uncovered. So. Um, I, and I think and we've we've taken the arrows for this. You know, we we have brought we have our credibility is through the roof because of it. But we've taken arrows. You know, we've lost advertisers. Uh, you know, the Kennedy Pack dropped us. They were advertising with us because of Media Matters came out and said I was a racist or whatever. Um, you know, that's that's not standing up for truth. And that's why we're saying if you're an advertiser who wants to be known to be with the Dream Team here at the Georgia Record and CDM, you know, give us a call and contact us. That's all I got for tonight. Bill, you got anything else? I would like to close with uh, with a video from something that uh, President Trump said last night after his victory in New Hampshire that just underscores everything you just went through. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I would encourage other folks to think about it. And, and with whatever they are doing, remember, don't put up with a bullshit. <laughs> so here we go. 
so this is a great evening. And it is, you know, we are going to Nevada for a little while. We're not going to have to do too much. We have a great team there. But it's a team that uh, we can now send someplace else. They did a fantastic job. But uh, we, and it's a fantastic place, really a fantastic place. But we'll be leaving there very quickly. We'll head out to South Carolina, where I think we're going to win easily. I think we're 50 points up, 5-0. 50 points up on a person that was governor. That tells you something. But I felt I should do this because I find in life you can't let people get away with bullshit, okay? You can't. You just can't do that. And when I watched her in the fancy dress that probably wasn't so fancy come up, I said, what's she doing? We won. And she did the same thing last week. But he was much more angry about it than I was. I said, get up there and you let him know. We are going to win this. We have no choice. If we don't win, I think our country is finished. I do. I believe our country is finished. We have an opportunity to do something so amazing. And the good news and the reason we have such support, the best numbers I've ever had, the reason we have support is because they are so bad at what they're doing and so evil.